One of the first things in an effective ministry that has got to be established happens to be the prayer ministry of a church. And it is my intention to help lead us in that direction. We've got a great prayer ministry team, and I think that uh, there's a lot of lot of hope that some neat things can happen there. I appreciate so much those of you involved in a variety of prayer ministries, but I I want to uh, get down some of the basics here when it comes to prayer. In fact, I want us as a church family to consistently and always see answers to prayer because God has promised to answer prayer. In fact, I want the kind of prayer ministry that moves heaven. I want the kind of prayer ministry that robs hell. And I want the kind of prayer ministry that changes the mind of even the atheist. That's what I'm hoping for in a prayer ministry. Now, there are several hindrances to that kind of ministry. Uh, One of them just happened to be uh, 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 a lack of knowledge about what it takes to pray. And so this morning, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse number 5. And we're going to look here where Jesus taught us how to pray Effectively, It reminds me of the fellow that came in angrily to the small engine uh, repair shop. He had purchased a chainsaw from there, and when he brought it in, it was chipped and mangled, and the teeth were bent in many different directions. And he was upset because it didn't seem to work. He said, I have worked with this all day long, and I don't even have a few sticks of wood. He was trying to cut wood for his fireplace. And so the salesman was as patient as he could be and trying to practice good customer service. He said, well, let me see what, if, uh, what I can do with it. And so he went to the back room, made a few adjustments, and brought it back out. And he took the string and cranked it up, and it worked. And the man looked a bit sheepish, and he said, oh, that's what that string is for. Well, there are some things here in the biblical text that are much like a string to prayer that will ignite them, and I want you to know what they are there for in our prayer lives. And that's what Jesus is attempting to do here. He is trying and attempting to build the disciples into effective prayer warriors. Now, don't get the idea that the disciples didn't pray. Oh, they prayed often and frequently. But they did not pray effectively, as effective as they could, now that Jesus happened to be with them. And now that he was manifested and now that he was revealed. Well, here in this text, Jesus taught the disciples to pray effectively by overcoming some hindrances. And we begin in verse number five. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street, on the corners of the street, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, Go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Here in this text, Jesus tells us we can be effective in our prayer life. We can have the kind of prayer life that moves heaven heaven, and robs hell and impresses the world with the greatness and the power of God, at least those who are humble. Now, you know, of course, that the arrogant will never be impressed. And so we don't organize our prayer ministry, our evangelism, our worship around the arrogant. Oh, no. We do all we can to throw out a lifeline of ministry to the humble. 
It's the humble because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This is the kind of prayer minister that we want that will impress even the humble, that will impress heaven, and that will cause a great alarm in the kingdom of darkness. That can happen. In fact, that must happen. And if we want to do the will of the Father, and if we want to make a genuine impact, we really don't have any other choice but to have the kind of prayer ministry that can accomplish great things. Well, we can have an effective prayer life and prayer ministry if we overcome some of the hindrances. Well, what are some of these hindrances? Well, Jesus mentions beginning in verse 5 and 6, one hindrance, and that happens to be praying for the reward of men. Praying for the reward or the impression or the applause of men, of people. You can have an effective prayer life if you will avoid that hindrance. Now, in verse um, 5 and 6, look what he says. And you, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street, that they may be seen by men. What uh, the hypocrites Jesus happens to be talking about here would do is that they would gather during the busiest times of the day on the street corner. And they would pray long and elaborate prayers. And Jesus, being God, knew their hearts and said, that's what they're attempting to do. They're attempting to impress others, and that is as far as their prayers get. They only impress other people. He said, you do not be like them at all. In other words, do not pray in a way that seeks to impress other people. Now, I've got to say that oftentimes that ends up being one of the reasons people will not pray in public. They're afraid they will embarrass themselves before other people. It reminds me of Bill Moyers. Bill Moyers, a graduate of Southwestern Seminary back in the 60s, and left that and became communications director or part of that office for Lyndon Baines Johnson White House in the 60s. And so because he had a seminary degree, he was oftentimes viewed as the unofficial chaplain there in the White House. And so when they had a meal together and Bill was present, the president would call on him. Now, LBJ was hard of hearing, and sometimes I think he enjoyed it. But in any case, uh, like some do, but he uh, uh, called on Bill to pray at one meal, and Bill started praying, and LBJ interrupted him and said, Bill, I can't hear you. Speak up. And Bill replied, Mr. President, I wasn't speaking to you. (laughs) Friends, I want to say to you, when you pray, you don't have to impress other people. Just impress God. And God listens to a humble and contrite heart. God listens to someone who's true and sincere. Do not be like those who seek to impress others with their prayers. So that's one hindrance to avoid. But there's a second that's found here in the text. Uh, That means you can pray effectively. You can pray effectively when you use simple words. You can pray effectively when you use simple words. Now, yesterday I had quite an experience in my office. I walked in and I saw a dragon. Now, I know you're wondering what kind of pastor you have now, but I walked in and I saw a dragon, and he had wings, and he took, he took flight with them and flew through my office. And his visage was terribly impressive. It frightened me, and I took the sword of my mouth and I slayed him. Now, that's really not what happened. What happened is that I walked in and saw a wasp, and I killed him with not the sword of my mouth, but the shoe of my foot. But what I just did was that I embellished and elaborated and attempted to use impressive language. 
to impress you with my minor experience in my office. Now, I was frightened for just a moment, but not long. Uh, not nearly as frightened as I was with Andy's uh, name tag. But <laughs> in any case, that's not necessary when we go to God in prayer. He doesn't have to be impressed in that way with elaborate rhetoric and words. In fact, what Jesus says here, beginning in um, verse number uh, 6, But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you've shut your door, pray to the Father who's in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And in verse 7, When you pray, do not use batalogeo. That's an onomatopoeic word. In other words, there were heathens that Jesus talks about here who would say something like bada, bada, bada in their prayer. They would use words that didn't have a vocabulary or syntax or grammar. They were not human languages. They would just spurt them out before, say, the Oracle of Delphi or some other uh, shrine that the heathen visited, hoping that the gods would listen to them because of their impressive, energetic, intense rhetoric. And Jesus says here, do not use batalogeo, vain repetition, meaningless repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And Jesus says no. He says here instead, engage your mind and know what it is that you're praying. Now, we can make this mistake often when we pray. We can surface this hindrance to prayer often when we pray and don't think, when we daydream. We've got to be very careful about that. In fact, we've got to be very careful of self-made interference with prayer. We've got to be very careful also with interference from other places. I, I dare say that probably some of the most horrifying thoughts you have ever had in your life came to you when you were praying. Angry thoughts, nasty thoughts, bitter thoughts. Do you know why? Those probably didn't come from heaven. There is nothing so sacred that the kingdom of darkness will not seek to interfere with it. And don't make it any easier by failing to think through prayer. One of the things I try to do is I try to pray through the scripture, as I said last week. I try to take the text that I read. If there's something that jumps off the page, I will turn it into a prayer. And so that engages my mind and that makes me think. And that's one of the, the, the uh, things that we can do to make prayer more effective. Instead of using elaborate rhetoric, just be simple with God. Now, why is it that someone would become sophisticated and elevated in their rhetoric, in their words, in their language, in prayer to God? I suspect a lot of it has to do with being afraid that God will not hear and that prayer has to be done in such a way that... We have to get the formula right in order for God to hear us. But I've got good news to you. There's really no formula. There's a heart that God is looking for. In fact, he's searching for that kind of heart is what he's looking for. And so simple words are entirely appropriate when you call on God. And I think one of the things you can do, not only is pray from the scripture, but examine and look to see what's on your heart and don't hold it back. I mean, in the Psalms, you find oftentimes David saying, Go, God, you're awesome, you're exalted, you're, you're magnified. And then sometimes he says, God, I don't understand why you're doing this. Take the Babylonians and take their little ones and cast, cast them against the rocks. 
Well, God's big enough for that. David did not pray just right prayers. David prayed real prayers. And some of the hurtful passages in the Psalms that cause some to stumble over the Scripture, you need to understand, and I'm very willing to defend those, The truth is, David, with the warrior status that he had and being the chief executive in the legislature and the Supreme Court wrapped up into one human being, a monarch, a king, had the power to dash little ones against the rocks and he didn't do it. We don't have any record of him doing that. And what David did with that anger and that violence in his heart is that he kept it in his prayers unlike too many. He didn't pray just right prayers. He prayed real prayers, and they are so raw that we understand them are sometimes horrified by the intensity of them. God's big enough for these things. Now do all you can to get your heart wrapped around gentleness and kindness before you say your amen. But one of the best ways to do that is to get with God and pour out your soul. And I've got to tell you, that's good news. You may not understand this, but that's good news to people that have suffered at the hands of someone else especially. You can bring that before God using simple rhetoric. It reminds me of the minister that was praying a very elaborate prayer. God to him was the ground of being and he prayed so much, uh, used so much sophisticated rhetoric that one older woman in the choir got uh, exhausted with it and she reached up and grabbed his robe and jerked on it and said, just call him father and ask him for something. Indeed, that's what you can do. And so one hindrance to avoid is attempting to seek the reward of men and then um, seeking to use elaborate language. You can use simple words. You can seek God and His reward. But there's a third way to make prayer effective, and that is uh, when you offer complete requests. One fellow came to another friend and said, Well, I've gone back to church. And he said, You? Of all people, you've gone back to church? And he said, yes. He said, well, I I bet you don't even know the Lord's Prayer. I'll wager $10 on it. He said, well, I can too. He said, I bet you can't. I said, I can too. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And he said, well, here's your $10. I didn't know you knew the Lord's Prayer so well. (laughs) Jesus offered a comprehensive approach to prayer in what is commonly and mistakenly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Verse number 9 through 13. Now, I want to contend here that it's really not the Lord's Prayer. John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. You studied that this morning, many of you. The, The Lord's Prayer is a prayer the Lord would pray, and He would never pray verse number 12. At least the first part. Jesus is the only one ever to walk the earth that never had sin to confess. He was perfect in all his ways. Never made a mistake. Never confessed sin. So this is really the model prayer or the disciples prayer. And and there are a couple of ways that you can look at it. Uh, you, You can look at it in two categories. It begins with God's interests in verse 9 and 10 and then picks up with our interests, beginning in verse 11 on down to verse 13. And so when you pray, if you want to pray complete request, 
you, you may want to begin with what interests God. Because prayer is not getting our will done on heaven as much as it is getting God's will done on earth. And so we start with God's interests. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That pretty much covers God's interest. There may be some more, but this is a good place to start. And then our interest are daily bread and forgiveness and protection. Now, you can look at it in terms of interest, but then you can look at it in terms of items. The first item in verse 9 is praise. We want your name to be praised and hallowed all over the earth, God. And then power. We want him to come in power in his kingdom. We want Christ to return real quickly, and until then, we want his spirit to inhabit every heart by conversion and salvation. And then there happens to be provision in verse 11. Please give us daily bread. And, and then pardon. We want God to pardon us as we pardon others. Now, isn't that rather interesting? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Usually we're calling on people to follow the example of God. Here we're calling God to follow our example in forgiveness. And then, because verse 14, For if you forgive their men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. And, and then we ask the Lord for protection. Do not lead us into, and I'm, I'm going to translate this here a bit differently, do not lead us into trials, but deliver us from the evil one. And, and so that's protection. This is a way to pray complete prayers. I, I want to suggest a few other things that will help you. In fact, one of the most helpful things I have found about prayer is to seek to establish a one-to-one -one ratio, a one-to-one -one ratio between my prayers and a few things that come up just about every day. In other words, I hope that I will grow to the point where I will have a one-to-one -one ratio between my prayers and my fears and anxieties. So every time fear and anxiety crop up, I don't just keep plowing on through my schedule. I've tried to stop, often, to stop and pray about it and turn it over to God. And often, I say to the Lord, God, this is entirely too big for me. I cannot handle this. It hurts me. And it bothers me. And it's going to overwhelm me if I don't have your help. And you know what? The longer I go on, the smaller the issue it takes to thrust me in His presence. It's not just the big issues. When I was younger, the big issues were where do I go to school and who do I marry? Now it is how do I handle my children who slide down the stairs on blankets? <laughs> I find myself praying constantly over small things because life is made up of those. So a one-to-one -one ratio between my prayers and my anxieties and fears. And then a one-to-one -one ratio between my prayers and my responsibilities. Before every meeting, before I even start praying, I pray for help to pray. And a variety of other things. A one-to-one -one ratio between that and, and my responsibilities. And then a one-to-one -one ratio between my prayers and my angers. Things that make me angry. It's hard to impress people, family especially, when you're angry. 
to impress Jesus on them. And then a one-to-one ratio between my prayers and, um, well, people with the personality of a chainsaw. A one-to-one ratio. Now, there are oftentimes we need to do more with folks like that than just pray for them. That can't be excused for not acting and encouraging them to take a different direction, like remove their chain from their blade. But that, that can be a great, uh, great uh, help. Now, I have observed in the last couple of decades that there has been a shift in prayer instruction in, in the literature about prayer. And I, I'm, I'm ready for it to shift back. If you'll notice here, Jesus is entreating the Father in every one of these requests. Hallowed, come, give, forgive, do not lead, deliver. Jesus is asking the Father, and he's teaching us to ask the Father. And this is the model prayer. About 20 or 25 years ago, in conferences and literature about prayer, there was a shift in emphasis away from asking God for things to praising Him and thanking Him and being intimate with Him. I think those things have their place. But sometimes in the literature and the conferences, we were made to feel embarrassed and ridiculed and ashamed if we asked God for things. When that, in fact, is the emphasis of the New Testament when it comes to prayer. In fact, you don't find a single praise here in this text. You don't find any thanksgiving. Now, there are other places in the New Testament that talk about thanksgiving and praise. Don't misunderstand me. That has got its place. But, beloved, the emphasis on prayer teaching and instruction from the lips of Jesus is, go ask your Father for something. Ask Him. Plead with Him. Turn your needs over to Him. And in fact, I would go so far as to say is that you imply praise to God when you ask Him because you believe He can do it. And you really bring great pleasure to the Father whenever you ask Him for things. Now, they need to be in the will of God. They need to be the kind of things Jesus would ask for. And that's a part of praying in Jesus' name. But I have to tell you about an experience I had a couple of weeks ago that just broke my heart. When Hannah Grace graduated from high school in 2012, we really didn't say goodbye to her because she moved 10 miles north to my campus. And her dorm room was about the distance of where I'm standing now in the parking lot out here from my office. And I saw her nearly every day of the week. And she would come up to me nearly every day. And we had this little dog and pony show and little routine that I won't get into too much. But she said, hey, Daddy, do you want to buy me coffee? Hey, Daddy, do you want to buy me lunch? Well, at first that was thrilling because I was getting attention. But uh, after a while, it continued to thrill me. I cannot tell you how much it filled me to take care of my daughter. Amen. And we had a strange, unusual situation moving here to uh, Athens. 
Because Hannah Grace did not leave home, we did. And we did not tell her goodbye at home. She came with us to Michelle's family in Knoxville. And so it didn't occur to me we were going to have to tell her goodbye. I was unprepared. And we're standing in a parking lot in Knoxville, Tennessee, and she has to go one place, we've got to go the other, and it dawns on Michelle and me, this is it. In a parking lot in Knoxville, Tennessee. And we say goodbye, and we get back to Michelle's mother's home. She's with um, other family members, and we are bewildered. We're discombobulated. We, we just said goodbye. Does anybody not? Why don't the clouds roll open like a scroll, and there's some voice? And Why isn't the ground shaking? Because we sure are. So fortunately for us, we found her phone charger. And we call her up and say, do you need it? She said, yes. And we rush real quickly to other family members' home. And we take it to her. And weeping, we spend the next hour or two trying to tell her goodbye. And we come back to Michelle's mother's home. And I stand there in the bedroom where I'm sleeping. And I break down. And I weep. Because it hurt. And I think the thing that bothers me the most and upsets me the most is that I can't buy her coffee anymore and I can't buy her lunch anymore. I can't take care of her immediately like I used to. It brought me pleasure to take care of my child. It, takes, it brings your father pleasure to take care of you. He is not stingy. He is not resentful. He does not berate you when you bring needs to Him. When you pray like Jesus, when you pray with real prayers, it brings great joy to Him and it would break His heart if you didn't. John Newton wrote, Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For His love and grace are such none could ever ask too much. As one country preacher said, when you come to God and pray, just haul off and do it. Don't let hesitation at that point keep you from seeking the Lord. Well, there's one more thing here. You can pray effectively when you seek divine reward and when you use simple words and when you make complete requests, but then you can pray effectively when you embrace God's terms for prayer. There is a pernicious myth that if we do not correct our culture, it will always drift towards it. Our culture and society do not drift towards gospel truth. In the flesh and with evil influences in the spirit world, the world always drifts away from gospel truth to error and self-righteousness and presumption and overestimation of their value and worth that's constant. It's relentless. It's what the flesh does. It's what the world of evil does. I hate to say it, but some churches do too. And so you will hear people say sometimes, well-meaning, entirely sincere. I don't question their motives, but entirely sincere. But they will say, everyone is a child of God. Would you please disabuse yourself of that notion? Jesus said that there were some in his day that were actually 
In John 8, 44, children of the devil. Only the followers of Christ have been admitted to the king and have become the king's children. Only when we repent and place faith in Jesus Christ, which we'll give you an opportunity in a moment to do that, only when we repent and place faith in Jesus Christ do we become the children of God. Salvation and kingdom and heaven belong to God. And to access heaven and salvation and the kingdom, you've got to come on God's terms. They're His to give away. They do not belong to us. They are gifts of God's grace. We are not entitled to them like we are one of the Ten Amendments in the Constitution. And so not everyone is a child of God, but thank God anyone can be on God's terms. Now frequently Jesus says here, your father, the father, the father. The disciples have come to the father and have accessed him through Christ by this point. Well, what are his terms? Repent and believe in Christ. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, no one, help me, comes to the Father except through me. We must come through Jesus. Now someone might complain, well, that's rather narrow. Oh, I want to tell you, I had a second grade teacher who was the most narrow-minded, bigoted woman on the planet. Miss Sadler. She was mean with horn-rimmed glasses and drove a 1965 Ford Galaxy station wagon. I turned in a paper, a math paper one day with, where I had uh, filled out the equation 2 plus 2. I put 5 or 6. And she had the audacity, narrow-minded bigotry, to take her red pen and mark through that. It hurt my feelings. Now, I'm being a bit facetious here because, you know, there are some questions that only have one answer. I tell you, if you object to Jesus being the only way that God lets us to himself, then why don't you apply that same reasoning to your bank? You want your bank to be rather narrow about numbers, do you not? Uh, day before yesterday, I had to call my energy company in Texas because it overcharged me. $430. Cancellation fee for my energy contract. In Texas, we got to shop about two or three dozen energy companies, and uh, there was an early cancellation fee, and so they tagged that on there, about $300. And then I had a smart start thermometer, uh, thermostat that I placed on my home that I had removed in the summer, and they thought I had it removed in December, and so they charged me another $125 in ordinary uh, energy charges and taxes and fees. and. Uh, something for this, that, and the other thing. And I called them, and they were real polite, and they worked it out. But I was able to talk them down from $480 to 55 All because the numbers mean something. The words mean something. The label on prescription medication means something. That's why there's a difference between medication and rat poison. You better hope that words mean something. When Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father 
except through me. He wasn't just being narrow. He was being truthful, and that's our only hope. And I want to make it abundantly clear from the beginning of our ministry together that Jesus Christ is not the best way to heaven, as if there are other alternatives. There aren't any other options. So Jesus is not the best way to heaven. Jesus is the only way to reach God. And that's all. He is the only way to think about our sin. He said in Matthew 15, 19 that the sin in our, that the sin in our lives actually comes from our hearts. Why do we do what we do? It's because our hearts are dirty and they're unclean. We're rotten and we're filthy to the core. And God sees that in secret. I was witnessing to a man one time in Los Angeles in the airport and I shared Romans 3.23 with him that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And he said, well, I don't believe that. I haven't sinned. I said, what if we were to take every thought you've had for two weeks and put them on a screen for everyone here at LAX to see? Well, he changed his mind real quickly. (laughs) And most of us would. To have that kind of hubris and arrogance and have it exposed like that. We, are, we do what we do because we are what we are, and that explains behavior. Jesus is the only way to think about our sin, and that's a serious issue. Then he's the only way to think about salvation. When he performed the first Lord's Supper, he said, Take of this cup and drink. This is the blood, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the remission of the sins of many. Only the blood of Christ can erase the stain and erase the penalty and the debt we owe to God. There has to be an execution for our sin, and Jesus suffered that execution at the cross. He is the only way to think about salvation. And then He's the only way to think about your response this morning, and we're going to give you an opportunity in just a moment to do this. When He came preaching the gospel, He said, Repent and believe the gospel. Repent means to forsake and repudiate. What's keeping you from Jesus? To break up with it. To even divorce it. Whatever, not your spouse, but whatever is keeping you from Christ, set it aside. Become so horrified by it that you can't help but turn from it. Somebody has said that repentance is loving what we once hated and hating what we once loved. Depending on what we're talking about, that is entirely correct. To turn, to break from it, and then to trust the gospel. We don't trust our virtue. We don't trust our righteousness. We have none, nothing that will impress God, but we cast our only hope in Jesus Christ. He is the plank on which I hope to float to glory. He and He alone. You can do that now if you'll call on the name of the Lord because the Bible promises whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm glad that Scripture doesn't promise that if David calls on the name of the Lord, he shall be saved. I'm, I'm a bit insecure. I would think he meant some other David. He said whoever, and who here is not a whoever? Everyone here is a whoever. So God is inviting you. He's inviting you to come for the greatest answer to prayer of all, and that is repent, believe the gospel, and you can have Jesus if you will turn to Him. Let me pray for you. Father, I want to pray for friends here today that they would turn quickly to Christ. I pray that you would give them all the help of heaven that they need to repent and believe the gospel. I pray that you would protect them from other influences, even in this moment, and that nothing would distract them from turning to Christ. 
And I pray that friends today would resolve now to say yes to Jesus. For those that have that need to follow him in baptism, help them to come. For those that need to surrender to ministry or missionary service, help them to come. For those that need to rededicate or make some other adjustment in their life, I pray they'll come. And thank you, Father, that when we pray, we're praying to a Father who sees in secret, who rewards openly, and knows our needs even before we ask Him. And who's given us the name of Jesus to lift it all up before Him. Now, as you keep talking to God, would you resolve now to come to Christ? Here at Beach Haven Baptist Church, one of the many ways we give you the opportunity is that when we start singing, staff will be here in the front. And I will too. And if you're going to turn to Christ today, if you've decided to do that, come see one of us. We will help you take the next step. Would you do that? We'll pray with you and give you any help that you need. Maybe God is directing you to our church. We want you to move your letter and your life here. Maybe he, he is calling you to ministry or missionary service. Make that public. We want to get behind you in that. Maybe there's some other need you have. The altar is open if you just need to seek the Lord here with a friend or by yourself. But right now, I want to ask you to stand real quietly. Let's sing together as John leads us and you come.